and welcome to Oxtails, the podcast that serves up stories about history and the foods that make it from the Oxford Food Symposium. I'm your host, Anna Sigrether. And each week on Oxtails, we pick one paper from the symposium's long history and bring in its author to help us tell their story. Find out more information about the symposium via our website, oxfordsymposium.org.uk, where you can also make a donation to support this non-profit educational podcast. UK listeners can donate by texting OXTALES20 to 70085. That is O-X-T-A-L-E-S 20 to 70085. As always, you can support us by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks so much, and now, on to today's story. For most of us, the following scene will be a familiar one. A sterile industrial cafeteria with harsh fluorescent overhead lighting. Stainless steel tray rails encircling sneeze-proof glass, which protects steam trays of food. Several cola brand refrigerators filled with hundreds of liters of soda line the walls. And then the food. Cornstarch-laden sauces, lukewarmed overcooked vegetables, sandwiches on white bread that has already begun to get soggy from the iceberg lettuce and foamy pale tomatoes of unknown provenance, all served on unflattering orange plastic trays. None of us would ever choose to eat in one of these places. They are the undesirable consequence of being stuck somewhere with no other options. And while most of us might have come to accept this as standard, there is one Canadian chef who's on a mission to change menus, and minds, at some of the biggest public institutions in the country. Uh, Hi, I'm Joshna Maharaj. I am a chef and activist who lives in Toronto. For the past seven years or so, Joshna has been working in universities, community centres and hospitals, trying for the daunting task of bringing Whole Foods back into center stage in giant industrial kitchens. But nobody really wakes up one day and says, I think I'm going to reform institutional food systems. In fact, Joshna didn't even think about food as a career until she was in her early 20s. Just out of a university degree with not too many job prospects, she made a deal with her parents, whom she describes as not super traditional for Indian parents, that she would take one year to figure her life out. Uh, And so I wanted to go back to India. I had already spent some time in India before university, and I loved it. I was in this beautiful little ashram in the foothills of the Himalayas with all of the dreaminess that you could imagine. Uh, It was the most be like I would open the curtains and just see this mountain landscape. That was my, it was really the best. I, I would hang out like on the steps with a notebook full of all of my own existential dilemma about everything, right? Uh, and the aunties who actually worked in the kitchen, or like everybody would see me and just be like, what on earth is she doing? And who are her insane parents that just sent her away and let her do this nonsense for like, what is this? Right. And then they asked me if I knew how to cook. And I like, I knew how to get by to get through school. And you know what I mean? Like uh, some pasta and a can of chickpeas and tuna and you make it work. But I didn't know how to cook any Indian food, which is really what they were asking me, right? And so I said no, and they were, like, super horrified uh, about the, like, why, why, mostly uh, concerned about how I was going to find a husband. So they felt very protective and, like, literally dragged me into the kitchen. And I remember I had to make chapati dough for, like, 60-ish people. And we rolled all of these things out, and obviously after you do enough for 60 people, you become quite good at it. Um... And then, like, I went back the next day, and I went back the next day, and then I was hooked, man. I loved making food. I loved the conviviality, the joking around, and the laughing. Um, And there's just something magical about it. And then I was like, wait a minute. I could do this for a job. 
this could be a thing. I could be a chef. I was like, oh, I could be a chef, right? But I think the thing that was most compelling for me was understanding the responsibility of a cook. The responsibility of a cook has to do with the energy you bring to the food. Not just good technique, but good spirits, too. She watched the chef at the ashram come in and cook when he was in a bad mood. He would come in and he was banging things around, and that kind of snarliness spread to all of us. And then we took that food up and we served it to everybody, um, and I watched the snarliness waft over the entire dining hall. And that compared to when he was in a good mood. Literally, the same guy had just gone to, like, see his girlfriend. Right? And he literally walked back into the kitchen with, like, rosy cheeks. And, was, and we were all, like, singing songs and joking and laughing. And I saw that wave of giggling delight wash over the crowd at the, at, as well. And I was like, oh, this is how this works. This is what this is all about. When Joshna did go to culinary school back home in Ontario, she kept waiting for her teachers to talk about this energy thing that she had observed. But no one did. Because it's this airy-fairy emotional sh- And people are just like, ah, you can... Th- I think there's this notion that you can override that somehow. You know? It was partly for this reason that Joshna realized she probably wasn't going to walk the typical chef road, working in upscale restaurants, which are known for bringing out bad tempers and competition. But it might have been something else, too. Something she remembered from growing up in the kitchen with her mother and her aunties. You know, I think there's something magical about aunties, right? Aunties can sort of handle things. I realized the only way my mom pulled it off was because a troop of aunties would walk in the door all carrying food. And you know what I mean? And that's how we made it all happen. But for like, we are just, we're not connected to each other that same way anymore. Uh, and so I'm secretly trying to bring back the role of the auntie. Joshna's auntie energy is, to use her word, mega. It's a kind of energy that bustles through the door, no nonsense, just picks up the knife and gets chopping what needs to be chopped. It's an energy that is loving but firm, all weather and all terrain. In her view, most of the people and the food systems in our world need some anti-TLC. So in 2011, when Slow Food Toronto approached her with a funded project to get more local foods on the menu at one of the largest hospitals in the area, Scarborough Hospital, Joshna jumped at the chance. When Scarborough's first hospital was built in 1950, And I was like, what? A hospital wants to... Yes. Yes. Instantly, I called, set up the meeting, um, and went over there. And what was booked as a two-hour meeting ended up being like a four-and-a-half-hour meeting. I knew, ideally, what I wanted those trays to look like. What I didn't know was what the capacity was to, and to see how close we could actually get. What did those trays look like on her first day? Well, a flabby chicken leg to start. And some vegetables... Um, and vegetables were steamed, rice was plain, um, and some chocolate pudding, and a lukewarm cup of tea. Very standard issue, sort of institutional tray. It was all far from what Joshna wanted to see on a hospital tray. And the kitchen, when she poked her head in, wasn't much better. I remember walking around that kitchen and thinking to myself, this is what it looks like when someone has decided to yank the soul out of a kitchen. There were soup kettles that lay dormant and just became receptacles for spoons and stirring utensils because nobody was making broth anymore. When, (laughs) if there's any place on this planet that should have a rolling broth pot, I think it's a hospital. But there was no broth. No scratch-cooked anything, for that matter. There was one full-time cook whose main job it was to put on a parka go into one of the many giant walk-in freezers, and reheat the frozen foods she pulled out of it. 
and some prep cooks to assemble sandwiches and salads. Many of whom were just like five years away from retirement. And I swoop in there to start ad tilling to do their job completely differently, right? Many of them would look and be like, yeah, right. I'm going to outlast you, lady. And none of these kitchen staff seemed very happy about Joshna suddenly waltzing in, telling them everything was going to change. And then, for all the media attention that the Scarborough Hospital project got, it was all focused on how this hero chef was coming in and saving the hospital from its wretched food. Well, the consensus around hospital food is that it stinks. Our next guest hopes to change all that. She overhauled Scarborough Hospital... Unfortunately, the media is not going to tell the story about the incredibly intrepid kitchen team that has been weathering this storm of budget cuts for the last 20 years, uh, making it work with the increasingly shrinking amount of resources that they're given to do it, right? That is actually the truth. So the kitchen team were bent out of shape, understandably, about the whole thing right from the very start. Joshna could see this, and she quickly realized that the project could not succeed by pushing the staff out of the way. It was actually about making the well-being of the people who cook the food just as much of a priority as the well-being of the patients. And so I had a hunch that the only way to get folks to play along was if they felt the truth of it in their hearts. Because the other piece, Anna, is what is it like to do your job for 25 years And know deep in your heart, honestly, that the food that you're serving is not actually what those people in the beds upstairs need to eat. What is it like to watch that happen every day for 25 years? Um, And many of them remember a time when that kitchen produced huge amounts of glorious fresh food. The physical evidence of it was still there. In in one of the old walk-in fridges, there were still hooks hanging from the ceiling of where the sides of meat would be. And they remembered this, like, they showed me the physical station where they once had five vegetable cooks and made fresh rolls every morning. So many of them had that experience of that place. And they remembered when that kitchen produced food like that. And so they've witnessed it all happen. And I I couldn't help but think to myself, what does that do to you? Right? I get that there's security and there's a paycheck and a pension and all those nice things. But you're still a human being who's had to watch this happen. So I uh, did a lot of apologizing. <laughs> right? Uh, and because I felt to my, I felt like the only, the only proof is going to be my behavior. Right? It's going to be the way I handle myself. And I need to consciously not behave like this is all about me. The reason they were all in this situation together at all was much bigger than any of them. The poor food quality Joshna was trying to remedy was partly the result of decades of change in budgets and policies in government. In the 1990s, the Ontario Premier at the time, Mike Harris, went on a warpath he called the Common Sense Revolution, tightening spending within the healthcare system. Spending reductions are not easy, but the sacrifices we make today will guarantee... He once even compared nurses to hula hoop factory workers. In other words, headed for obsolescence. And administratively... Hospital food services have traditionally been clumped in with housekeeping and maintenance rather than with patient care. So with such budgetary tightness, the cafeteria trays were one of the places where the cuts were most deeply felt. And my the sort of Joshna hypothesis on this is because nobody was protecting food or the importance of saving a budget around food because the value is not being felt anywhere. No, no, no champion exists, right? So everyone's like, we can trim fat on the food budget. Without champions, the piece of the daily operations pie for food services has never really bounced back from the Harris-era cuts, which just seems insulting to Jushna when she considers the vast amounts of spending going on 
on other hospital budget lines. Because the, what blew my mind, I remember standing in the atrium of Sick Kids. Sick Kids is a foundation within the hospital. And the Sick Kids Foundation is a slick machine of a thing, right? And in all those brochures everywhere, education, healthcare, everything, they talk about the like boundless vistas of excellence and, edu- and you know, and innovation and all of this amazing unparalleled levels of whatever. But that attitude is not applied to the food service. There's a sad truth in the fact that the things in a hospital that get the big funding are the new buildings and the state-of-the-art machines, the kind of things donors can put their names on, do a ribbon cutting for. Things in the daily operations budget are way less flashy and require ongoing funding. Combine that with budget cuts, and it's easy for food service to be seen by administrators as an irritating necessity of daily operations rather than a central part of the mission for excellent patient care. If, if the food is just taking a long road to a garbage can, then the most important thing to know is that this really accountant-driven approach to patient feeding is not working. If patients were happy and eating this food and the plates were empty when they were coming back down, I wouldn't have as much of a complaint, right? But it is not working. And, and places like University of Guelph and other academic institutions continue producing reports and academic studies talking about how hospital patients are chronically malnourished populations. So learning that these were the disadvantages that formed the backdrop to her one-year project, what did Joshna do? She set her sights even higher. And I said, look, if I have a hospital and if I've been, somebody has bought me a year's worth of time to experiment with rebuilding this food, I'm going to do as much as I possibly like. You know what I mean? I'm going to shove. It's not just local food. It's let's rethink scratch production. Let's think, you know, let's think about menu choice. Let's think about cultural diversity. Like if we're going to do it, let's do it. Since the grant that covers Joshna's project was officially all about getting more Ontario grown food into the hospital, there were some pretty big walls she had to tear down to make that happen. First, there was the supplier's issue. Large institutions rely on large global food suppliers, who definitely do not source from small regional farms. Large suppliers can get paid once per month, which makes things easy for the accounting department. Not so for small farmers. But it, like the amount of pressure required to, to get another check run, uh, to get you know checks printed off schedule, was mega. And then the other piece that you don't realize is impacted was that all of a sudden the organics bins were filling up in a way that they never used to. Organics bins are the bins for green waste and compost. Right, and there's a, there's a mega labor issue around how heavy they got, who moved them around, uh, because there was no schedule for the maintenance and the facilities team to come and collect organics from the kitchen. The reason the organics bins were filling up was suddenly all these whole foods were coming in, thanks to the small farmers. Carrots, onions, potatoes, squash, and were all having to be broken down and prepped, which was a huge labor issue in itself. Joshna found herself in a game of budgetary Tetris, figuring out how to make all these changing parts fit together, all while staying within the same number of labor hours. Um, I love this story uh, about labor because it just is a great example of the madness of the systems that we as humans can build, right? So I wanted to take the toast off of the menu and put a frittata on the menu because the problem with the toast is that everything had to have that dome, that sweaty dome on top of it. And no piece of toast will survive a journey in an elevator against that sweaty dome, right? And so the toast would always be so sad and limp. Right. And I was like, we just can't do toast well. So let's stop doing toast. So I thought to myself, 
We need to take the toast off and lean into what's happening here, right? We need to cook foods that benefit from a little extra time with some steam. And so my, my first thought automatically was a frittata. You pull it out just a little bit before, and so in that journey up, it'll be reasonably close to just perfectly done by the time it hits the patient. And so we had to figure out what kind of labor we were exchanging. And so we had to figure out exactly how long it was going to take. Because, of course, I wanted fresh eggs. So I had to crack 210 eggs. And to time it for how long it took me from pulling the cartons out to wiping the counter down. So we figured that out. That was 90 minutes. But technically, the budget for the labor for making the toast was part of the line and the assembly line budget. Whereas the budget for making a frittata was in a production budget line. So we had to isolate this coming back. We had to take that out of the assembly, you know what I mean, the frontline budget, and put it into the production budget so that we, you know what I mean? And this had to happen for every move we made on the menu. We're not even going to go into how she had to adapt the frittata recipe for the more than 40 therapeutic diets the hospital offered. It would be enough to make even the most intrepid chef think about hanging up her apron. But Joshna knows that her job is not only about cooking. It's like the bureaucracy. It's just the, this sort of gurgling bubble of bureaucracy, plus change-making. So much of what I do is managing change-making. Another one of these trials came when Joshna tried to cook one entire meal using only local ingredients. Even though she and the kitchen team had been making great improvements, like fresh egg frittatas and homemade soups from local vegetables, they were still relying on a blend of global suppliers and local ones to make the budget work. As she learned in the frittata trial, a large part of what was stopping her from making an entirely local menu was labor. The hours it took to do entirely scratch cooking seemed like a constant roadblock in the budget. But she had a growing suspicion that the type of labor might be a variable she could play with. What about adding in a little bit more skill into the equation, and then crunching the numbers again? And so I brought a chef pal in to cook a scratch-made lunch in February in Ontario. All local ingredients, all scratch-made food. My pal Rod Bowers came in and he made a mushroom consomme. We roasted turkeys and we made roasted beets and potatoes. He made a quick pickle. Well, he had all the root vegetables and all the things. And then we made an apple and frozen cherry crumble with a little custard. People lost their minds. It was a beautiful tray of food. Um, and when I crunched the numbers at the end of the meal, we had only spent an additional 33 cents per patient. 33 cents more per meal per patient to upgrade the food to entirely locally sourced ingredients that have both better flavor and nutrition. So the wisdom here is there is no way that paying that buying real food cooked by a human being is going to cost less than buying machine food. And people would ask for it and I'd be like stop asking for it it's insulting. It's never that's never going to be the way this goes. However, and and I think a lot of what has been difficult about my verdict is that I I land on the fact that we require investment right? We just, we don't spend enough. We need to spend more on food for patients. There needs to be more of an allowance. It's ridiculous. It's too small amount of money. But the most compelling argument is that for a tiny investment, I can give you an exponentially better experience. Changing food systems first means changing people's minds. Joshna succeeded at breaking through to her kitchen staff. After a rocky start, things got better. 
She reached out to all of her chef and food friends in Toronto, asking them to send words of encouragement and support to the kitchen team, and then posted them in the staff hallway on a giant corkboard. She brought the staff to one of the farms that they were now purchasing from to check out the salad greens that were soon to be served on the menu. And I remember one of the tray assembly staff came up to me and she said, are we really going to serve this to our patients? Uh, and I was like, we're really going to try. I'm like, the trick is figuring out how to make the money work. Uh, but yeah, that's the, that's the plan here. That's the goal, right? And her face lit up and she said, I would be so proud to serve this to our patients. Right? And I was like, uh, right? That good energy spread. The same as in the ashram kitchen, from person to person, conducted by food. But the people way up in the offices, for those people who are often far removed from the situation, it wasn't so easy. It's those people who have to understand why the extra spending is worth it. And they often don't. And there are times where I just want to burn everything down when I realize the degree to which there's just nobody listening, you know, to the plea and the degree to which begging has to happen to do something as fundamentally important as improving the quality of meals we serve sick people. This is never going to change if we don't decide to intercept. And on some level, our public institutions are a reflection of who we are as a society. On some level, right? Uh, it's, they're ours. And in some way, hospital food should nurture good health and wellness, uh, right? And that is completely not what's happening on any level right now. Joshna sometimes feels like she's the only one who sees that the emperor has no clothes on. She can see the way that what we eat, for the better or for the worse has ripple effects outward into the world. Time and time again, however, her vision seems to loom larger than the changes she's able to chip away. When her year was up at Scarborough Hospital... So I was there for one year, and I left that team full of enthusiasm to keep the new systems running. We really were trying to build something that I could walk away from and that they could run with. Um, and for all intents and purposes, uh, for a little while after that, that's exactly what happened. Everyone was really committed and inspired in a very beautiful way. Um, but then the hospital had to deal with a potential merger with a bigger hospital conglomerate. And you realize that sometimes without that perpetual champion in there, things are harder to keep floating. And, like, the glue wasn't even dry when I walked out the door. Uh, and the important thing, it's, it's hard for my heart to embrace it, but it took us 25 years to get into this mess. It's going to take longer than a year's worth of funding to get out. And that is, it's really the truth of all of my projects, right? I've sort of felt that it feels like my Achilles heel in this, that I haven't made any lasting change anywhere. Maybe it's her Achilles heel. Or maybe it's because this is a Davidian task, trying to take down the Goliath better known as the bottom dollar. Joshna doesn't seem to be deterred, however, because she keeps showing up, knife in hand, to chop what needs to be chopped. And in doing so, one of the things she has inadvertently put on the chopping block is what it looks like to be a chef, both in terms of who can become one and what you can do once you are. Uh, I have taken an approach because I am a woman and because I see the world with these eyes, right? And then um, other things get compounded. Race, of course, fits itself there, interestingly. But I now, whenever I speak anywhere, there's this sweet collection of young brown women who just want to say hi and who are delighted that I exist and that they can see some part of themselves reflected in this sphere that I work in, right? And one of the loveliest questions that they ask is, what is the phrase that you say to Indian parents that lets them allow you to go to cooking school? Joshna is right now working on a book about her experiences that she hopes can be a blueprint for others to do the same kind of work. 
She is also hoping to build a network of chefs, particularly young women and women of color, training them and supporting them in working outside of the traditional restaurant industry. It's not that she doesn't want to continue on reforming institutional food. It's just that she's realized she can't do it alone. So now it's all about building up that next generation, teaching them what a cook's responsibility is, to make sure people are fed in more ways than one. She wants to call the bluff of a system that seems to say these things are not possible. It's a big task, but according to Joshna, somebody's got to do it. And she's not afraid to be the one to ante up. Thanks for listening to Oxtails. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks to our guest today, Joshna Maharaj. Her symposium paper will be published in the 2018 Proceedings this coming summer in 2019. Check out Joshna's website, joshnamaharaj.com, or follow her on Twitter, at joshnamaharaj, to find out when her book, Take Back the Tray, is coming out. Oxtails is produced by me, Anna Sigurther, and mixed by Thomas Krauss. Editorial oversight is provided by Fiona Sinclair and Naomi Duguid. Our theme music is by Thomas Krauss. Oxtails is made possible both by the Friends and the Board of Trustees of the Oxford Food Symposium. If you like what we are doing and you want to help us make Season 3 a reality, please consider making a donation on our website, oxfordsymposium.org.uk. Listeners in the UK can donate £20 by texting the word OXTALES20 to 70085. That's O-X-T-A-L-E-S 20 to 70085. Other music in this episode was by Ava Glendinning, Thomas Krauss, and Ben Sound. Sounds accessed from freesound.org and tvo.org. To learn more about the Oxford Symposium, that website again is oxfordsymposium.org.uk. Follow us on Twitter at Oxford Food Simp and Instagram at Oxford Food Symposium. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to us and please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back next week with our last Oxtails of the season.